This is good. This is good looking. Hello and welcome to the Bring Art and Technology Together podcast. This is episode number seven with David Thomas Moran. Catherine, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, I'm happy to be back. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, we've had a new year happen since the last time we spoke. And you have a new headset. I have a new headset. I'm very excited. <laughs> what else has been going on with you? Let's see. I got interviewed on NPR as part of Famalab. Oh, yeah. So that was very exciting. Like About, our local you know, the future uh, station here. For the future. Yeah, the future of Orlando is a tech center, so that was fun. And, um, you know, just causing trouble in general. Regular stuff. <laughs> Good. I actually, you know, in, in reverse order, you know, I did this theater show last year. We talked about it on the podcast a lot. Now I'm actually taking improv acting classes. So I started out as a producer, and now I realize that if I want to talk to actors, maybe I need to actually have more skills there so i'm kind of going back to improv 101 so that's been interesting how's it going good so far and uh, actually our mutual friend darren is also in the class we kind of decided to take it together in in other parts of creative world i've been um doing pottery so there's this really cool studio in oviedo which is a kind of a, a suburb of orlando and they have uh, all this really great community of people that are there making stuff and there's people that you know this is their hobby there's people that this is their profession and kind of everything in between this studio has been in there there for like almost 30 years i think it's it's kind of this very well established but still very well much unknown little gem that we have down here it's called the artistic hand it's really neat cool so fun fun stuff uh, but we also have something else really fun, which is we have a guest today. And a little bit of intro is that this this guest is a Master of Fine Arts student at UCF. He is a photographer and a game designer. And he does a lot of public art projects that are uh, geographically oriented. His name is David Thomas Moran. And David, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. And I'm impressed you spell, uh, pronounced my last name correctly, because usually people are like, David Moron, David Mor what? How, how do you... <laughs> so, that's great. I'm really we excited try. to be here. <laughs> yeah, but no, I'm, I'm really, I appreciate you inviting me on here, and I'm excited to talk to you guys. I'm sure we're going to have a great conversation. <laughs> well, and I first I first met David at actually a, uh, a meetup with, with Nathan, who was on our last show. There was, there was somebody else that was a UCF person doing the presentation and i talked to david really quickly and david you're involved in a project called trip the transit interpretation project which yes. another one of our mutual friends pat green is is kind of the spearhead behind it 
yeah, he's he's curating the show, and then I'm helping him as as a like kind of co-organizer with communications and logistics for it. So I mean, but to me, Trip is a good example of the kind of projects that you like working on. So can you give us an intro to Trip, and then maybe that's a people can get a frame for where your art is coming from. Yeah, well, you know, I think Pat Green has really been a, a leader, and I'm sure there have been many other artists that have been doing, or curators that have been doing similar things, but through the Cor- Corridor Project, because Trip falls within the Corridor Project, which are you both familiar, um, the le- uh, listeners might not be familiar with it, but it's been a um, basically a contemporary art museum that really has no walls. It's just... It's location-based, site-specific art that um, people just go out to different places and they create art based on a specific space or place that they're within. And it started with the walk-on-by installations or series of installations that were done, um, I think, in 2012. I don't know if you remember that. But if you Google that, I'm sure that there's a write-up on it from the Orlando Weekly or maybe the Sentinel. Well, there's, there's some pretty decent um, videos, too, of some of the little installations. Yeah, some of so them were performances. Pat- some of them were more like sculptures or visual art. Some of them were, um, you know, a mixture of the two or interactive in some way. Right. And so, I mean, with the walk-on-by um, performances and... I think that set the groundwork to really think about, you know, art doesn't have to be limited to a gallery. Um, The production of art can be much more democratic and accessible to a lot of different creative people if you actually think about having it be everywhere, you know, almost pervasive in a way. And so I think Trip has uh, built off of that, you know, I've been riding the bus, the Lynx bus, for about two years, and some of my work was featured as a game as art uh, installation at the gallery that Pat uh, directs and curates the gallery at Avalon Island back in July. And I think through some of our conversations and already Pat's interest in field, like doing kind of field guide things or being a field in the field and recording sound, engaging with the environment, um, you know, he wanted to do something more and almost like creating some sort of game where people get on the buses and interact. And so Trip, I think, grew out of that. Pat finally one day was like, you know what? I'm going to get a 30-day bus pass. Throughout the month of November, I want the pass to be passed around by different artists, and each artist um, is going to cover a different bus route. And I think this is really significant in the sense, I mean, have either one of you ridden the bus in, in the town that you live in? Or links? Are you both Orlandoans? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Kath- Catherine's New over. New Smyrna. Yeah, New Smyrna Beach. Okay. I mean, do you do you have a bus out there in New Smyrna? Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that that's kind of interesting, to, you know, to think about that. Um, and I think I think Pat found that of the participants in the first phase, which is still ongoing, eighty-four percent of the participants had never been on a Lynx bus before. So there's this there's this social dynamic going on where people aren't riding a transit system that does exist, um, and so I think this is there's an opportunity using play to to get people more engaged with the infrastructure to get them thinking about mobility to realize what's already there and maybe create some sort of social change or social movement around it, and so Trip I would argue is an urban mobile game because it's about people getting people to use their bodies and use art and uh, play as a way to 
interact with systemic structures, forces, things that are happening around them. And that's really, I think, at the root of what my passion is in terms of research and creativity. Yeah. And so specifically for Trip, you got to use the bus pass one day. So yeah. what what sort of a, uh, a project did you undertake? Well, I had the interest in, I had the opportunity to actually be the first person to do it. And I was, I think, uh, a little out, out of the box as far as what I decided to do. And this is a problem that I've always had as a person that tends to, t- to bite off more than I can chew. Though I managed to get through this, but I, I decided that I wanted to, to do the, the Colonial Drive corridor, um, you know, which... When I think of Colonial Drive, I just think of the stretch that goes from downtown Orlando through Mills 50, through the Colonial Plaza area, past Fashion Square Mall, to Cimarron, you know, Goldenrod, Dean, Rouse, and then Alafaya Trail where UCF is. But, I mean, it also goes much further in the other direction towards, I think, Winter Garden Mm -hmm. and the West Oaks Mall. So it's a really expansive um, row that also goes, you know, to Bithlow, Christmas, and I think all the way out to da- Daytona Beach because it's a it's a it's a state highway. Yeah, it, it goes but, across uh, the entire state of Florida. Yeah, so I mean, it's like this huge beast of a roadway, but it also has. So I was really interested in um, the. I've always been fascinated with the history of the Parliament House Resort, which is kind of this iconic gay club in Orlando, and many people that visit Orlando go to it, but it's also, you know, well-known amongst both gay and straight people as, you know, for its drag shows, events, things that happen there, and Halloween tends to be one of its biggest nights ever. People dress up, and it's it's really just uh, this interesting time to be there, and so I, I decided for my participation that I wanted to take the bus to Parliament House um, to go there for Halloween. But the problem is that the bus stops running like around 11 o'clock. So I was essentially stranded. And I think that's kind of something that I wanted to explore, how people can get stranded on the bus system. So what I ended up doing is walking from Parliament House after the club shut down all the way back to my apartment in the UCF area. And I used it as an opportunity to take photographs and video of what I was seeing as I wandered these urban and suburban spaces that, I would argue are pretty not incredibly friendly to pedestrian userability, I guess, um, or usability. So, and I use Instagram as my platform to to document this experience. And then I did a blog post where I wrote some poetry and a, a write up that kind of explained some of the elements of what I was trying to do. So that's kind of my what I did, and it, I mean, it's an ongoing project for me because right now I'm in the process of developing a prototype documentary computer game that helps, uh, that engages players to actually interact with my photography. Okay. Um, I, I, I think we need to stop and unpack some of what you just said. Yeah. So, you, as a citizen of Orlando, ride the bus. Yes. And, and you live on way, way out on the east side of town, which is probably what, at least. 12 or 15 miles away from I think it's 13 miles. 13 miles? Yeah. Okay. And Pat is getting ready to to host the trip project. Yeah. And it's supposed to run during November. So, you know, Halloween is basically the beginning of November. Yep. You said, I'm going to go here. But but you kind of premeditated this a little bit. You realized that 
the bus was going to stop running. So that was that was part of your project. Yeah, because it's happened to me before. I was kind of recreating an incident that happened to me once where I did get stuck. Hmm. And I, you know, didn't have enough money to be able to afford a full cab ride home. So I took it partially and then I walked the rest of the way because my phone had died and I couldn't reach anybody. So, and so yeah. So, I, so six to eight hours later, you make it back to your bed. Yeah, yeah I was like six. It was like about six hours and 15 minutes. Hmm. And um, you set up you set up an Instagram account, which is called Dead Queer Walking. Yeah, and we'll put a link to that in our show notes at battideas.com battideas.com you can find all of the links that we're talking about today for episode 7 and um, you can see all the photos that you took I guess in reverse order because that's how Instagram works it is in reverse order so you have to go backwards and I think that's one of the reasons we're doing the game is so that it makes the photographs a little bit more accessible because the gallery, Instagram gallery is always a little hard to navigate sometimes. But then you have also written about this project on your blog, am I right? Yes. So maybe you well, can get a little bit more context there? Yeah, I, well, I think you can read specifically about Dead Queer Walking on the trip blog, um, on the first post. That will give you more context. It also explains the name because a lot of people are like, "What the heck does Dead Queer Walking mean?" <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it, yeah, yeah, and I understand that, but it's a little bit more theoretical. But it's basically, I mean, the idea of dead man walking. You know, and I don't know if you've heard Orlando's been labeled the most dangerous city in the country for pedestrians. So this idea of me walking the city streets of Orlando could potentially be this fatalistic or deadly experience, you know, so, and then queer is a southern pronunciation of queer, and uh, because I don't particularly relate to being queer in terms of north, north, northeast or western notions, I, I think I, there's like a reality, a geopolitical reality about being queer in the south, so that's why it's queer, in case you were wondering. Yeah, it's. I was. I was I wondering about that myself. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to get an experience. All right, Catherine. But uh, Catherine, Catherine is definitely down with the, with the queer people. Being being the co-chair of Volusia Pride. Yeah, I think I got it. Okay. Uh, there you go. And growing up in the South. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know that's. It's just really important. We have like this pervasive hegemonic thing about what is a city, what does it mean to be an American. That you know, I, I just talk to people that don't live in the U.S. and when you think of America, they immediately think of New York City or San Francisco or Miami or Los Angeles, maybe Chicago. And I'm like, that's not my experience, you know. And so I think that's why I'm really interested in creative placemaking because it's a way of taking ownership of where we are and what is our experience that's not maybe one of those uh, major metropolitan storylines. Yeah, and I know from my from my background, I actually grew up in Orlando. Part of my childhood is in Orlando. And I left there and I went and lived in DC and San Francisco and in New York and in Boston and in places that are actually much more friendly to pedestrians. Right. Well, unless you're planning to cross the street, in which case all bets are off. <laughs> um, but, but you know, that you know, they're, it's set up 
so that there are buses and trains and things that run at all hours of the night and day, and you can get home you know, right. without having a car. And that's one of the things I'm finding very hard to adjust to, having moved back down here, is not having a metro or a really great bus system or a cab at every corner or whatever. Right, and if you do take a cab, it's really expensive. You oh, know? yeah, it's, it's insanely expensive around here. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, I think, for cab drivers because, you know, they people aren't going to take cabs as much, and so it puts them in a strange situation of, like, you know, they're getting much less people using it, but the fares are more expensive versus it would be great if they, maybe they can get a lot of people, but the fares will be more affordable, you know? Yeah. But I love right, talking exactly. to the cab drivers. They have a really cool perspective on the city. I, if you haven't had a chance to talk to cab drivers, you definitely should. Well, and, and like where where I live now, we, we moved here about four years ago, and I was looking to find a place that was close to downtown Orlando, but not in a high-rise because I don't know if you could pay me to live in a high-rise building in this city. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I would describe Poltergeist 3. Like, I feel like that's the experience that I had when I'm condominium building. I got stranded in the view on 4th of July. I had to walk down 26 stories just to get back up to the top. I mean, it was Actually, a terrible experience. Some of my friends were in that exact same party and they, yeah. they talked about the 45-minute line for the elevator. Yeah. It's scary. I, I, yeah, you could pay me to live in a high rise. <laughs> no. so, so, um, so when we were doing that, we were kind of thinking like, okay, well, you know, let's say that you could get downtown or get a ride downtown but how would you get home right so and we said well there are taxis but they're not really that you almost have to call for a taxi if you really want one around here oh you do yeah i have city cab on my you know in my contacts let's say you have to call them you usually wait 30 minutes or more yeah so it's just not that that extreme level of convenience that you would get in a more densely populated city that the trade-off of living in a high-rise is that, well, it it takes a long time to walk certain places, but you can do it, and when you walk there, you're not walking through an industrial park or you're not walking through someone's backyard. You're you're on a street that's intended for pedestrian use, and we're still kind of in this transitional town here where that doesn't always happen. Well, you know, historically, streets were meant for street pedestrians. <laughs> right. I mean, like, there was this cultural shift, this consciousness shift that happened with the motor clubs in the 1920s and, you know, the, the assembly line that, that allowed cars to become more affordable through the, what is it, the Ford T model or whatever. But there's a really cool book called uh, Fighting Traffic, The Dawn of the Motor Age in America that helps, I think, put some of that into perspective as far as how pedestrians have been really pushed off the street, you know, and, right. yeah. and whatnot. So the other thing I want to just talk about for just a second is when you, David, say the word video game, mm -hmm. what a lot of people have in their head is that you plug an Xbox into your television and you sit down for a gaming experience or I guess increasingly more nowadays is that you open up your mobile phone and there's some sort of a thing where you have to match three colored blocks next to each other. So like Candy Crush or like whatever. Candy Crush, yes. <laughs> um, oh, I need that. <laughs> um, <laughs> which I actually had to uninstall because I just knew that it was 
taking yeah. you nowhere. Um, so, so when you're talking about video games and, and the program that you're involved in is, are you in the visual language program? I'm in the I'm in the emerging media digital digital media uh, concentration. So I'm not with FIA or the Florida Interactive Education Academy. Um, I'm I'm it's a more interdisciplinary uh, program where you kind of pick the focus. And so people do all kinds of things. And I picked uh, games for change or social impact games as my area of interest to to work on. Um, so I guess you were asking me what what is my definition for a video game? Sure. Um, you know, I, I kind of like the idea of using computer game to uh, versus video game. I know like it's probably a more accessible word to use video game, but I think that the the title video game still kind of ties it a little bit to the genre of film and video, and it's just all very different. So um, for me, I think games can be a lot of different things. I particularly don't play some of the more because there's this idea of ludos, which is very like str- a, a kind of a stringent idea of what a game is with a, uh, a set of rules and you're clearly playing this game and it comes from the the idea of ludology or the study of games. Right, you're trying to achieve something that the point of the right. game well, is I to win. The, yeah, but you know it's like the game its experience itself is very much set. Um, for uh, you, you really are aware that you're playing this game, and that it's it's kind of like a more traditional video game, I guess. Where I'm more interested in the idea of Padia, I, and I apologize because I've yet to hear someone pronounce this correctly for me, but it's spelled P-A-I-D-I-A, I think, um, or maybe maybe it's P-A-E-D-I-A. Let's but go I with Padia. Padia, okay. It sounds very Greek. Um, it is, and so. <laughs> It basically means play, and so it's a, this idea of playfulness, or I would even think if you've read any of Mary Flanagan's work about um, social activist themes in games, she's one of the, I think, like leader thought leaders in this idea of using games for social change or for encouraging empathy, but she talks about this idea of critical play. Um, and so you're you're criti- using critical thinking skills and your awareness of social justice um, values to to play games either to encourage learning or to encourage some kind of social outcome. And I think I take that a little bit more further, where I'm interested in urban mobile games, where this concept of co-presence, where you're both physically embodying, like in the real world, you're an avatar on the city street. But you also have this virtual persona that also exists. So you have this co-present way of playing a game. And I, I like that because I think that it creates really interesting opportunities to playfully challenge, you know, ideas that are constructed around this, as well as like physical structures that are built around us. Um, and even, you know, geosocial issues dealing with telecommunications infrastructure. You can find barriers through play. And so that's that's the direction that I've gone with computer games. It's it's like not really World of Warcraft or Angry Birds, um, you know, or Candy Crush. Though I appreciate those games, I'm more interested in this geosocial idea of being able to both virtually and physically interact with people and spaces. And maybe one of the most well-known examples of a game like this. Although it definitely has more of the of the ludology goal driven 
game to it is called Ingress, which was made mm-hmm. by a offshoot of Google. Mm-hmm. And um, the idea with Ingress is that you choose a faction. You can either be, I think it's the Resistance or the Enlightenment. And there are certain sort of like key points in the world that you can walk up to. And the way they're situated, you almost have to walk. You can't necessarily just drive around and hit right. all these spots. So it kind of encourages you to get out, experience your city, and hopefully meet other people. Um, well, and I like that. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I, I personally haven't heard of that game, so I appreciate that you told me about it. But it seems like there's more of a Ludos aspect where it's like you're you're constructing a narrative about, you know, you're on a team, you're trying to accomplish these missions, which I would think that I tend to uh, gravitate towards more, more Foursquare or Instagram as examples for me of more... Because with Instagram, I think it's totally a game. You know, it's this idea of walking around, taking pictures. Well, and how many likes can you get? That's is part, part of, it, of it, right? Which is, yeah, that's a whole other issue about... I don't know if you guys have heard of the book um, by Sherry Turkle, Alone Together, um, which is I really have. interesting. But it's, you know, this idea of how social media is actually really perpetuating the lonely crowd where it's like, you know, when you're around all these people, you feel like isolated, but then around people at the same time. And it's almost like you're not getting any quality time with yourself or other people because of it. So that's, I mean, the instant gratification of getting likes is cool. But I think for me, the game is more hashtags and connecting with people through hashtags through like like-minded ideas I mean, I don't know if you guys have done it before, but would you? I take a picture and then I like think of some kind of playful or poetic hashtag to tag that photo to, and then I were like, "Oh my gosh!" You see that maybe twenty other people in the world also tagged something to that, or maybe yeah. a thousand did. And so for me, that's an interesting playfulness or checking a photo in at a location, and maybe the photo is not quite really relevant to the location, but it can be a commentary on that, you know. So. If I'm on the bus and I'm riding by the view, the bus is actually kind of an economically depressed space in in Orlando. Like you're kind of if you're riding the bus, it's thought that you're doing it not because you just like to ride the bus, but because you don't have the resources to have a car. So I can check in at the view on Foursquare, but I could be taking a picture of the bus that I'm in that's riding by Foursquare mm. by by the view. So it's like I've been able to kind of engage this this idea of a condominium which is kind of a celebrated icon of upward mobility and success with me being on this bus that's passing it and I'm using Instagram as this way of you know resisting that so that's that's for me when I think of like game likeness or pedia did you say pedia is that how you yeah. pronounce it um, that's kind of what I think about well and, um, and when in the in the early days of Twitter, Especially when you're at either a large event or oh, in that. a bigger city, that you could basically, before there was check-ins, right? You would basically just say, "I'm on my way to Parliament right. House," in your example, and then a few minutes later, you would have sort of inspired, you know, a few more people to get off their chair and head to the Parliament House because you sort of passively invited them you put it out there to the world and someone can say 
ah, I see that, and I agree with your decision to go, and let's, I'm going to join in your your game, as it were. Of, and they could either going be going out. there physically, or they could be going there by just connecting to the hashtag. Right. You know, so there's like this virtual visit somewhere, then there's this physical visit somewhere that can happen, and there's a tension between the two of them, which I think is pretty interesting. Well, yeah, and you, yeah, you can you also get the people of you know, wish I was there. Right. Kind I mean, I never realized the power of Twitter until I went to a conference for the first time where they said, this is our, this is the hashtag. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm connecting with all of these people. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> because I always found Twitter to be so overwhelming. I was like, what, I follow these people and maybe someone's going to pay attention. But when I found something that connected us through a hashtag, it made Twitter, it brought Twitter to life, to life for me. It was like, okay, now I get it. I get why. This means something. Right. It's about connecting people. It's connecting like-minded people together to have a conversation, or to post your latest selfie. You know, because right. some people like to do that. Too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so David, yeah. you have a a crowdfunding project going on right now. Do yes. you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I have a game as art installation called Play Me. And it's a series of, uh, let's say it's, it's either 10 or 12 photographs that I specifically took of different places and events in the, the area. And if you're on Instagram, you can actually go to the hashtag PlayMeOrlando to look at the photographs and other related things. But I created a tabletop card game um, using the photographs. And it was one of the first times I had actually printed my Instagram photos or even thought about creating some kind of photo essay or interaction that links certain photos together outside of my hashtag to the actual Instagram gallery. And when I demoed the game at the gallery at Avon Island, I was really impressed to see how people responded to it, but they said, hey, we'd really like to see you do this, but on a larger scale. You know, like either bigger images or maybe using projection or something where you really take up an entire room to get people to play this game. Don't limit to, to the tabletop. Like, make it so that people are using their whole bodies to play. And I like that because I'm really interested in people using their bodies. You know, it's like, okay, that's great you did that Facebook status or that you, like, checked in here, but, like, show up, be present, you know, engage with the space and other people that you're around. So I'm trying to raise money to basically create this installation using um, overhead projection where people can interact with my Instagram photos and I think it will be kind of a metaphor in a way because the photos will actually be projected onto the floor and you can interact with them. And it's just interesting because Instagram photos are kind of floating out there in you know, virtual Instagram space. So this like kind of literally somewhat takes those photos and makes them tangible through projection. You know, but it's still a digital artifact in a way. So... Um, the game would be on a much larger scale, and so I'm trying to raise $2,000 within the next 20 days, which is somewhat of a surmount, you know, a, a huge task to do, but um, I think that it's very possible. And you can go to theartstarter.com to donate. I mean, I'm mostly just asking people to donate like $5 or whatever they can, and then there's different things that you get based on your donation to do that, but it's essentially helping me, you know, get the tools and, and funding I need to make the game happen. And and the, the Art Starter is a, is a crowdfunding website, you know, it, these things are all over the place now, but this one is fairly Orlando-specific right now, right? 
It is, and it's kind of cool because uh, no, it is cool, not kind of, uh, <laughs> because uh, unlike uh, Kickstarter, if you don't re read your amount, you don't get any of the money that's pledged. Where with Artstarter, the moment you put money in, it goes to that artist. So even if you don't reach, if I don't reach my two thousand mark goal, goal mark, if I get a thousand, I still get to use that money. Um, you know, so that's that's I think that's nice, and it is important that it's local, so it's like, because we need more local stuff. I think that that is the future. I mean, everybody immediately thinks, how can we start something that can sell everywhere? But I think, you know, local economies are just as sustainable, and I think we're seeing that pop up in a lot of different ways right now in Orlando. You know, trip getting people thinking about local transportation, the East End Market, getting people thinking about um, local food, local writers, local plants, I mean, a lot of different things. Other leaders like Dandelion, you know, Community Cafe, and it's really, I think that's a, a hugely important thing to think about. So I think the art starter is definitely on to something. Um, it's just about getting more people on board to help find the different projects. Yeah. I think it's wonderful. So I hope that if you guys are able to, to make a donation, or anybody that's listening, I would greatly appreciate it. I have... Uh, until uh, the end of February to to make this happen. So um, by February 28th, I have to um, hopefully have reached my goal. And another interesting thing that we're doing, and I probably shouldn't be talking about this, but I'm going to anyways, <laughs> is um, I reached out to City Arts Factory um, about from April to May. We're looking at having the first local Instagram art show. Oh, neat. Where we would actually oh, cool. um, exhibit local Instagram photographers' work. Um, and so I'm also, I have too many projects that I'm involved with right now, apparently, because I'm doing Trip. I have Play Me. I'm trying to finish my Dead Queer Walking uh, game. But I just, I've seen a couple other galleries pop up, specific, specifically in Miami. that, And I just think that Instagram is such a, a, like a visibly important uh, platform right now, um, and I know that it's just, it's, it's restored, it's helped me get connected with some really interesting people locally, and so I think that it, this show would be super cool, so we're going to be recruiting people um, through Instagrammers Orlando, if you don't already follow them, you should, it's um, IGers underscore Orlando, and they um, usually on a daily, sometimes every other day or weekly basis, um, will pick like a photo of the day. And it's really cool to see the creativity out there as far as visual artists that are, you know, taking photographs of Orlando, you know. And so City Arts Factory people are excited about it. We just have to raise money for it. I think ultimately it would be cool to create a more permanent space that exhibits Instagram photography. Because, like, we have Snap that just opened, but that's not, I mean, you know, it's a little bit more high-end fashion-forward photography. Is, yeah, incredibly so, high-end, but... Uh, yeah, because I, I mean, I went to the opening. I thought it was great. I love the Snap people, but I think you know, a local gallery that exhibits Instagram photos would be super interesting. Um, and so that's kind of, I think, one thing that I'm looking at possibly getting um, launched in the future as well. To to the credit of Snap, not to not to uh, push them off into the area of total snobbery. But when they have the Snap Festival, they always have a what was the old word for it? Mo blogging. They always had a oh, mo blogging component. Almost like a crowdsourcing thing, or a... yeah, 
a, a yeah, mobile phone photography, like it, it was essentially a contest. Yeah. Um, but but they always wanted to include that uh, virtual digital component to it. So. And I think that's super cool. And yeah, I guess when I speak of Snap right now, I just think of the gallery show that I saw, which was awesome. But it was obviously, you know, um, exhibiting a certain kind of you know, creative work. Yeah. And so there might, you know, there might even be a possibility of collaborating with Snap or with other galleries too. I'm not really sure, but I think that this will be neat. And um, I also am just continuing to be interested in the idea of photography and game design. So that may be an element that goes into this concept of ex- exhibition and somewhat of a gallery space as well. So oh. I have to keep you, you know, um, in the loop, I, well, or yeah. and if something is coming up, uh, be sure and let us know. Yeah, because I mean, it's definitely yeah. not set in stone. But if you guys have photographs that you think you might want to be exhibited, we'll probably be putting out a hashtag for people to submit their photos to, and then we'll figure out some kind of way. Because we're thinking about printing as a, you know the traditional form of printing photographs for exhibition, but also digital exhibition. So there would be canvases that actually exhibit a hashtag. They don't they don't exhibit you know, so it'll be mm. like a a digital photo frame of some sort with rotating pictures of it. This is this is uh, a little tangential, but have you seen that there is now a brick and mortar Polaroid camera store in the mall? Yes. I, I you know I've I've seen Photobar. I think that they're they're cool and it's an interesting idea. Um, what I, I don't know is, were they just open for Christmas, or is that more of a permanent? Store? I think it is a permanent store. Um, I because think it's the, the Polaroid form factor basically is Instagram. It's square, yeah. and it's got a little space down at the bottom where you could write on it. So, in yeah, you know, like rewind forty, fifty years, and people have been doing this for a long time. Just oh yeah, it's been made it's... digital now. Exactly. So I think and that's I mean, really interesting. The photo bar is definitely cool. I'm not sure that a collaboration between us and them would really work at this point. Um, but I'm, I mean, I'm not ruling it out. But I just think that maybe we're looking, we're kind of going in different directions. So, sure. but I, I do respect and appreciate what they are doing. You know, but I think you know, in my opinion, I kind of see Florida Mall as not really a local entity. It's more of for tourists yeah. and whatnot. So I I think I'm more interested in a space that's more centrally located, accessible to a lot of different residents. I I wonder about all the time, right? Um, Catherine and I are very involved with Urban Rethink, and now um, something I'm getting involved with is potentially a new sort of co-working, but but about physically making things, a hacker space that's coming. But it's it's coming to downtown Orlando because that neighborhood around downtown is kind of where you want to be for the the creative and the influential people but when you say wh- downtown do you mean the central business district or do you mean city? I mean there are about five or six neighborhoods that you could call downtown you okay. have everything from the milk district and Lake Ivanhoe and College Park and Mills 50 and Audubon that right. to me is really those are all contiguously downtown in my brain. Well, I think definitely in terms, I don't know, if you either of you have lived in other cities, I think that there's a very specific meaning about what downtown is. 
you know, because like if you were in Manhattan and you said, I don't know, what would downtown be in Manhattan? Right. Know? There is a very specific area there. Right. So yeah. I think that's interesting that Orlando, downtown Orlando, which for me, because of how I navigate as a pedestrian and bus rider, when I think of downtown Orlando, I think of the central business district, right. which is pretty void of creativity outside of there are a lot of companies based down there but I don't see a lot of visible things happening in the storefronts yeah. for people to engage with. Whereas we... Oh, sorry, were you saying something? But um, but Ivanhoe Village, Mills 50, uh, Audubon Park, um, I think that especially those three places have some tremendous potential to be, I think, hubs for creativity. Yeah. And already are, so, 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 that's, so that's super cool. It's interesting to me that... You know, if you're making something that you want those people to be involved in, you have to put it in one of those three neighborhoods. But mm -hmm. when you look at the percentage of people that are visiting Orlando and looking at what we have and, and the perception that, that is here in the rest of the world, they're not coming to that neighborhood. And, and every so often, you know, the New York Times travel section will say, have you heard of the Milk District? you got to go check out this or you have to go to you know uh, Lou Garden or whatever it happens to be and they'll they'll right. they'll send you somewhere but it's sort of like oh well I'm going to get my Disney vacation and then I'll go see this one other cute thing but well, to me yeah. like is there ever a time when when we the creatives can sort of infect international drive and and do That's something right. down there better. If we really want to show the world what we're doing, the world is coming to our doorstep every day. Yes, I think there is. I don't know. I definitely am an expatriate when it comes to the west side of the city. Like, I really don't go over there very much. I don't feel welcome there. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's for me. I mean, I lived in Hunter's Creek for three years. I worked for Disney as event planner for three years or four years full-time and five years seasonal so I know that area very well and it's just I drive for me is not a space I mean I think there's totally creative opportunity to go there as I don't know if you saw the story in the Sentinel where they talked about the idea of the permanent tourists and the Orlandoan right and so there's this dynamic of people that are dedicated to the city and then there's this dynamic of people that are dedicated to Orlando as a tourist destination with a theme park culture yeah and um Gosh, I just I gotta let people live their lives, and I can't judge them, right? Like that's really important. Cause I don't want to be judged <laughs> for living my life, but I know that the theme parks are not the sustenance for my happiness. Though I know I have to be realistic and know that they are a part of what makes Orlando, you know. So but I feel like think, I'm more. Do interested. you think that there's ever someone that goes to a pizza place on International Drive and walks away thinking like that was the best? pizza that local business proprietors have to offer when, yes, when we know right. that there are spaces that are five miles, ten miles down the road that would blow those things out of the water. But, but you, you guys but could the, probably the, both say the, that you're locals, right? The real experiment... I, I Yeah, I've lived here for 30 years. But the real experimentation is not happening there where the foot traffic is so high because you have to do something... You have to do something safe on International Drive. The, mm -hmm. the, the the really the really creative people are experimenting where experimentation is normal 
but is oh I see what you're saying. Yeah, so you're kind of you you're talking about going into a more dangerous space and kind of dangerous by design in a way. Uh huh. So well, that's... I think that's I think that's true of any city that that to some degree depends on tourists. I mean, you know, if you have tourists that are coming to New York, they're going uh, to my yeah. they're they're going to migrate to certain places. Like Times Square, and then anybody that's from New York avoids Times Square like the plague. They're like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like I'm just going there, but, yeah. Yeah, but at the like, same time, two, three blocks away from there, there is still exactly. that daring stuff going on. So it's all kind of right on top of each other. But well, here, right. two, three blocks turns into, you know, two, three freeway exits. Well, I think that, I mean, that dynamic is something that we could probably talk to the county and the city about because that's that's definitely just poor urban planning, in my opinion. We've just allow these developments to be sprawled all over the place. We don't even have express transit systems that connect these different hotspots together. Right. I would definitely, you know what, I would go to iDrive if it's easier for me to get there. It's just not convenient. If I live in UCF right now, trying to get to iDrive via the bus is exhausting. It's exhausting enough for me to take the bus downtown. Mm-hmm. It takes an hour and something. So to get to iDrive would probably be two hours. And I just don't have the energy because I'm not going to necessarily get a return from being there where I, I could be more connected with a local community. So, I mean, I'm saying for me, but I agree with you that there's definitely opportunities for sure. You know? And and, and from my perspective, if I, if I want Disney trinkets, I'll go to the airport. Right. <laughs> really? Yeah. I don't have to, I don't have to fight the, uh, I don't have to fight the traffic. I have to go there to pick up my family and friends anyway, because they're always flying in and they want to go to the beach. So if I'm going to buy a bunch of Disney plasticky stuff, or whatever, I'm going to go to the airport. I can go shopping there, and I don't have to fight. I don't have to fight the, you know, the crowds. Well, something that I do think is interesting, and I'll, I'll look for the story. But there is a there is a mall on International Drive. It is called the Festival Bay, and oh, they are yes. going to be having like a handcrafted store inside of the Festival Bay Mall. I'll, I'll try to find the story about that and, and send you guys a link to it. But do you think do you think that helps any? You know, in in the middle of the uh, outlet mall district to have a a store that has quote unquote artisanal whatever it happens to be coffee mugs. I don't know what they're going to sell. Probably not for me. But then I live in an artist colony beach town. Mm-hmm. But let I mean <laughs> let's say that let's say that you're. Put yourself put yourself in the perspective of the person who's visiting Orlando. Uh, here, I, I'll give you a very specific oh, anecdote. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I I oh, visited probably. San Francisco, and I'm talking to the bartender at what ends up being a really cool place in the middle of a financial district where, where there really shouldn't be a really cool bar, but there 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 is. Um, and I'm talking to this girl, and she says, "Oh, you're from Orlando," and she gives me this look like, "I'm sorry." And I say, no, no, it's, 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 it's a great place. Uh, and she says that her fiancé's family is planning a trip to Orlando. And they're essentially dragging her along. Like she's going kicking and screaming. <laughs> because, because she can't imagine anyone having a real cultural experience in such a desert as Orlando. And I, I told her, Spoken hey, like we a have true San Francisco. Exactly. So I, I was telling her, hey, we have, you know, this going on and this. And 
try to convince your family, for one, to take you on an airboat ride. Because whatever you can say about Orlando, we're one of the only places in the world where airboats are plentiful and that we have interesting swamps and alligators and bald eagles and and things to go see Manatee. on an airboat. Manatees. Manatees. Are they so, in Orlando or you, you mean the greater Orlando area? In the greater Orlando area. But most people that visit Orlando, they're not really visiting my Orlando. Orlando. They're visiting the area 20 miles you know, west. So they're visiting Orange County. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But so so I said yeah. if if you cannot convince them to take you to the Morse Museum or to you know some of the other places that I, I am trying to recommend to the then 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 airboat ride is one of the things I can tell you that is a real unique almost almost unique to Florida, although there are other places in the country you can go on airboat rides. But that's that's something you can do here. And Yeah. And so, is there is there a way that we, the creative people, can not just say we are not all of this tourist stuff, mm-hmm. but but engage with it? But in, yeah, exactly. So, well, you know, I would say, Ryan, this sounds like a trip post for you, in my <laughs> opinion. I think this is a great question, and I think you should turn it into a trip contribution. There you go. To to see what how that works, because I absolutely agree that there need to be pathways for people to come out to the east, just like there need to be pathways for people to go out to the west and not feel unsafe. Because I just don't consider I drive to be a safe space for me. I've been stranded there before, and it's just so far away from everything that I know um, that. It's just, you know, I don't feel particularly safe going out there. But if there was a, you know, a transit system or some kind of way that made it for me to go there, I might consider it a little bit more. Well, and, you know, and, you know I, I talk a lot about my contributions to the, the theater world here on the show. And being involved with those people, you realize that so, so many of them are employed by theme parks, dinner theaters, and other entertainment establishments. So basically... Those tourists pay the salaries of these theater people, and then they use their precious time off to go and create, assuming that the other thing is not, to create real art as opposed to the same thing that happens, you know, seven times a day. So the one is subsidizing the other, but is there a way to recognize that and link them together? Yeah, I mean, that's that's something I've had to learn is to not take, like, this moral absolutist idea of, you know, what's happening in the east side of town. I don't know why I'm creating this binary of the east and the west, but what's happening in the east side of town is so much more valid and important than what's happening in the west side of town because they're both important, and they're just, we have to acknowledge. I just am definitely an expatriate when it comes to Disney. I, I, I lived that life for a little while. A long while, and it's the only reason I ended up in Orlando, really. So I do have some skepticism. But, but right, but you've just said engaged. a very key thing that it, that that attraction brings people here, and then when you think about wanting to stay, then you almost have to prove to yourself that it's worth it. Oh yeah, that's been like the last ten years for me, definitely, or well, almost ten years. I came here in two thousand five. So, and we're very happy to have you, by the way, David. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I really, I think that what you're talking about sounds like a great opportunity to explore, and I don't want to be a snob about it because honestly, 
I think the the person you were talking about from San Francisco, I don't, I'm not going to call them a snob, but I would say that there's an elitism that comes from many other cities is how they judge Orlando, especially Miami people. Like, oh, Orlando, blah, 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 blah. But um, not all of them, but some people I talk to. But I don't know if you are following in San Francisco right now this whole huge thing with the... Uh, the Google and Apple buses and other Silicon Valley privatized buses. So San Francisco is not like this perfect utopia of living that's going on there, and neither is any city. We all have our problems, you know. So is there music? To anyone listening to the podcast, please excuse my dogs. There's there must be somebody on the street making noise. I think it's just important to know that every city has helpful and harmful components about its space, you know? Oh, my and goodness. Thomas. I don't think you should discount Orlando. And I shouldn't discount the west side of the city either. But I think that's why, taking this back to some of the we talked about earlier, that's why I'm really interested in urban gameplay because it's about challenging us to think about creative placemaking and to think about our connection with our space and how we're connected to one another. And I think that's really important. And I think that's definitely the root of why I, I want to play these games with other people is to help create a, a stronger sense of connectivity and creativity and, and regional support and regional identity. Right. So, David, do you feel like we're missing anything at this point? I'm, I'm getting to the point where I think we're going to wrap it up. And... Mm-hmm. and uh, Actually, I might ask you and Catherine to talk amongst yourselves for a second while I go try and quiet down the dogs. Mm. I'll be right back. <laughs> well, I don't know. I feel like that I've talked a lot. I don't know, Catherine, do you have any thoughts? Because it seems like you're really great at listening and interjecting thoughtfully here and there. Well, I mean, I think I think what you're trying to capture really is something that's important. You know, we're, we're talking about the idea of, you know, the... the the west side versus the east side but part of it is is you know when you're talking about when when you talk about being from Orlando immediately people's assumption is uh, orange juice and mickey mouse ears and they think we all wear them <laughs> you know we you know don't forget the alligators around, yeah either that or you know you're walking around with an alligator um, and it's it's part of, it's sort of interesting because i'm a contributing writer to this website and one of the things I sort of I sort of took on is writing about cultural events in Central Florida, and people were amazed when I started, um, you know, writing about places like Casadego, which is kind of a weird, you know, I write about sort of weird places in Florida, but you know, Casadego being the the psychic capital of the world, you right. know, and it's kind of weird, but I also I also write about you know um, you know Blue Springs where all the manatees go, and I refuse to write about Disney or Universal Studios or or any of that stuff. I write about you know Fama Lab where all the geeks hang out, or you know the Mini Maker Fair going on at um, you know Orlando Science Center, or all the other creative stuff going on because um, I, like I, I refuse to pander. <laughs> I refuse to pander to the to the perception, you know, to the to the bias, the 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 perception that we're all running around wearing Mickey Mouse ears and singing "It's a Small World." Right. <laughs> oh well, you know, and I I think that's what 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 you're trying to do with the the uh, the gaming is is 
fill in the gaps between the preconceived notions and what it, what's really here. Yeah, I mean, and like the Instagram hashtags really parallel just what you're talking about. Because if you hashtag any photo to Orlando, your photo is up against a tidal wave of theme park imagery. Like, it gets lost right. in the sea of people that are coming, which I think is fascinating. And so, but if you do downtown Orlando, then you're just going to be around people that are, like, living here. And so I think that that kind of shows the dynamic that we're dealing with. And I very purposely... Well, part of it's because I really can't afford to go to the theme park since I don't work for Disney anymore. There's no reason for me to go there because I'm not getting in for free. And I've seen every inch of that property through and through. I, I, I mean, you know, I don't need to go to tell you what, what the deal is there. And I, I do love Disney. But if you look at the photo essay that I did for the Orlando and that was published yesterday, there's really no mention of Disney at all. And I was very clear in my intentions that I wanted to stay within the city limits of Orlando as well with the photographs that I chose. However, there is one image, which is the last image of the photo essay, where we're at League Central Station, and the bus that you see is the 50, and it says Magic Kingdom on it. Mm. So I allowed only at the absolute end for there to be some kind of acknowledgement that Walt Disney World was around. But, you know, it was even with hesitancy that I even did that. Because, like you said, it's like, no, I want to... But we also have to acknowledge that it's here. We can't deny that. Um, right. You know, so I think that I totally like what you're talking about, Ryan, is that we have to come up with a compromise that, you know, builds a bridge between these dynamics. But I think my skepticism is that it's just there needs to be a more diverse economy because I'm really concerned about how the hospitality industry is creating an economic depression mm -hmm. in the region that just doesn't allow salaries to be competitive and allow people that work in the hospitality or not to have a livable livelihood, like a living wage and a, a quality livelihood, you know. I don't think we should all be living in poverty just so that people could spend time with Mickey Mouse. And that's probably one of my biggest concerns right now about the Orlando region and something that I might explore more in my gameplay as we go, go forth. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not advocating that we, you know, build more theme parks. But oh, right. I'm trying to say more. we need to realize that they're there and that they could be a resource instead of trying to ignore them and pretend they don't exist. Right. Well, you know, if you look, did either of you go to a Tronicon? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I think Disney and Universal Studios both had... Um, Interesting uh, presences at a had uh, well, you know they, they had a presence. They were there. trying to show that the the you know the STEM fields that they have a place in Disney World. And did you know that we don't just have theme park rides, but that someone had to design it, and then even after they've been running there for you know forty years, someone sits down and tries to come up with a more efficient way of loading the ride so that more people can quote unquote, you know, have fun on our ride every day. Right. Exactly. So I, I think that there is, um, yeah, I agree. So there's, there's more to it. So, I mean, having been a, have either of you worked at Disney world before No. as a cast in member? high school in typical, you know, rebellious Orlando form. I, I never wanted to work for them. 
<laughs> That's interesting. Because I had a story with some other people that have grew up in Orlando, and we were all able to say what attraction we had worked at. <laughs> so I worked at Big Thunder Mountain in the college program. So I saw a very interesting perspective being a frontline cast member of a, a popular roller coaster that would run, like, I almost swear that that, that train ran 24-7. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how it didn't fall apart running like that. So I appreciate that experience because it, it gave me a healthy view of, of the theme park culture and that there are great things about it, but there are also, I think, some serious opportunities for improvement to, you know, support cast members and employees that maybe aren't getting compensated the best that they should be, well, you know, for doing what they're doing. Here's, here's a really interesting uh, tidbit. In my, in my improv acting class right now, there's a game where we have to point uh, at other people in the circle to sort of move this game along. But the person who is currently a Disney cast member, he, he does the whole handed point. Two fingers or a hand, yes. <laughs> yeah, so. and there were some really great transferable skills that I got from a lot of the training at Disney. <laughs> and that is one of them. I, I don't feel uncomfortable pointing at people, you know, with a finger. It's I consider it rude. And there's a there's some great values that come from, you know, the company culture there for sure. Did either did either of you guys watch the film um, Saving Mr. Banks by any chance? I haven't Not seen yet. it yet. No. There's this creepy scene in the film towards the end. I don't know. I think it's creepy, but you might not think it's creepy. But he, you know, Walt Disney, Tom Hanks plays Walt Disney in the film. And um, towards the end of it, when they're actually showing the screening of the completed Mary Poppins movie, you see uh, Emma Thompson's character go in and talk to, to Tom Hanks. And in the background, you see a map of Florida. And it's just eerie because you know that Disney World has not been created yet. Mm. That obviously the Florida project is happening, and Orlando is you know about to completely change right. because of what Walt's plans are. And for me, I, that really resonated just with somebody who lives here. I don't know if people really even saw that, but just that that the whole story of how Walt Disney World has you know, impacted Orlando as a fascinating narrative, which I'm sure is multifaceted and, you know, not a black and white thing at all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure that that in itself could be a whole podcast series. <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah. this is this and we is can the all, portion... And all three of us could get locked out of Disney for the rest of our lives because <laughs> of it. <laughs> this, is, this is a portion of the show where I like to uh, ask everybody on the podcast to share a, a source of inspiration or something cool that you should check out. Cool. For me, there's a, a book that I came out in October or November, I think. It is the the biography of Jim Henson. And oh, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty easy to find, although I'm going to try to look up the name of the author really quick. So uh, Brian J. Jones is the author. Like many books, I read this as an audio book, and uh, it's interesting because the guy who reads the book, he tried to do a, a Jim Henson voice and a Kermit the Frog voice and a Fozzie Bear voice and some other things like that. So instead of you having to do the voice in your head, you can kind of like laugh at this guy kind of <laughs> doing the voice on the, on, the, on the audio recording. But a really, really interesting book, and you kind of see how here's this guy who knew nothing about puppetry or performing and 
all he really wanted to do was make a television show and went and auditioned and then had to sort of like invent almost everything that he was doing just out of necessity. And then it launched his entire career and every single day of his life, he kept trying to get away from that, that one little experience of, well, I'm going to start working with puppets because that's the thing that's going to get me onto television. And now he's, oh, that's interesting. That's a similar story to the creators of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I don't know if you know about that, but they were like a fringe, you know, comic comic creators, and right. they created TMNT, and then, like, that's all that they could do. Nobody would let them do anything else because people were so obsessed with it. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, cool. So that's that's my pick of this week. David, I know that you mentioned a, a book earlier. I did, yeah. There is a game gamer and writer, blogger named uh, Anna Entropy, and she has a book out that I think is really cool. So it's Rise to the Video Game Zinesters, and if you're familiar with zines as far as like counterculture publications and whatnot that circulated in different cities, Anna Anthropy, not Anthropy, um, she is known, some people know her for a game that she did called Dysphoria, which was an autobiographical game about her experiences with HRT or hormone replacement therapy as she transitioned, um, you know, to help her gender identity be um, uh, congruent uh, or her her, her uh, sex assigned at birth be congruent with her gender identity. But um, it's called Rise of the Video Game Zinesters, how freaks, normals, amateurs, artists, dreamers, dropouts, queers, housewives, and people like you are taking back an art form. And I love this uh, because it's basically a manifesto to get people to realize how games don't have to be just this industry-oriented, almost, you know, military-industrial complex-like thing where it's all about shooting and war and fighting and violence and misogyny and things like that. It could be used as a really thought, thought-provoking, provocative art form. And so I recommend this book. I just started reading it, but she's already influenced me a lot. I imagine that if anything, this is a great creative spark and you know thought leading uh, book to read. And I would just cheat and say that I have one other thing that's really inspiring me right now. And I'm not uh, just to plug. There's this local. I think they're based in Daytona Beach, but it's called J Bond Clothing. And I happen to actually. It's funny. As critical as I've been about Disney World, I have a Mickey Mouse shirt on right now. But oh, it's but that of, is the creepiest <laughs> Mickey Mouse shirt I've ever seen. But it's a really creepy Mickey Mouse shirt because. <laughs> It's like a zombie Mickey Mouse, and then he's wearing a T-shirt that has like um, a nuclear bomb on it. And I just I don't know. I just thought it was fascinating for me because as like a recovering cast member and an Orlandoan, um, I thought that it defined you know the fact that I have a love hate relationship with Walt Disney World and just the culture that's here. So that book and this T-shirt are probably my two biggest things right now. I love that T-shirt. That's great. That's great. Uh, we will we will try to find uh, an image of the shirt so we can share it with everyone. Maybe we'll make that the the album art for the show. So yeah. It comes up on your iPod when you start playing this song. <laughs> Very appropriate. Um, Catherine, do you have anything to share this week? Um, the thing that's inspiring me is um, 
I was reading an article that came out uh, from the MIT New Media Lab, and they have developed a new 3D printer that I desperately want because it 3D prints in chocolate. Yes. And since and since chocolate or chalk chocolate chocolate oh yeah. Gosh. It it, it does since, uh, sugar and flavored candy and chocolate. Yeah, it... and since and since I'm sitting on about oh eighty pounds of high grade chocolate at my house, and I make truffles, I really desperately want one. So <laughs> what, what are they like? Eight thousand so... dollars or something? Huh? Aren't they aren't they like eight or ten thousand dollars? Well, the, there's the cheap one that's five grand, and then there's the expensive one that's ten grand, and of course the one I want is the ten grand one. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what we always want, right? So, so you could do an Indiegogo or an Art Starter to try and uh, buy your chocolate machine. A, cul- a culinary starter program, right. yeah. 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 So, what? I mean, what does a chocolate printer look like? You know, is it? <laughs> it looks like any other 3D printer, except it uses chocolate, and it does all these great designs and shapes and stuff, and it's just amazing. No, no, but see, but can I have like chocolate printer with like pretzel underlayments or something? Oh, right. Probably, probably, but I mean, you know, it prints things that are almost too pretty to eat, but you know. Ryan's had my truffles, so he I don't think you'd have any problems eating them. No. Yeah. No, they're gonna oh, that's it. awesome. Also, like with the 3D <laughs> printer, if it wasn't chocolate, it would be like maybe a malleable plastic material of some sort. So they just switch that out with the chocolate, maybe? Yeah. Pretty okay. much. I guess, yeah. The, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That's super cool. So yeah. uh, pretty fun, pretty fun. Um let us let us start by uh, going to our guest, David. Uh, you go by Wide Angle Focus on several different places. That's your your screen name of choice, right? Yes, yes. That's Twitter. Well, I guess it's my Facebook too, but uh, definitely Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. Uh, wide Angle Focus. But then you also post a lot to the the Corridor Project blog, yes. right? Yeah. So the Corridor Project blog has been featuring our trip posts. We actually just posted our first sound submission um, by Derek Orth today and he made a, I think it's some like an electronic music composition hmm. and so we have a SoundCloud account too. Um, so if you go to the, the corridorproject.wordpress.com you, you can look at the, the trip blog post and see what's, what's going on. And I'd love for both of you to consider contributing. And so, because we've actually been having conversations about how in the world do you get to New Smyrna or Cocoa Beach or those places without a car yeah. from Orlando? Yeah. So that would be super interesting. Transporter. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, wait about 200 years. Um, right. And, and uh, David, definitely we want to make sure that people go and check out your, I mean, your, your Instagram photos is something easy to follow. But then, specifically, the the Orlando Days and Nights project has just recently come out mm-hmm. um, on the the Orlandoin blog. Yes, and uh, we'll be a link to that on batideas.com. And um, there was one more thing I was going to say. Oh, your your art starter project. 
Yes. We want to make sure we remind people that that exists so that if they want to support... Brian Wilson is definitely getting really nervous about me promoting it, so I I appreciate you allowing me to plug it in. (laughs) No, no, that's what what this is all about. We want to to have a good discussion, but we also want to make sure that we're supporting art. Definitely. No, I appreciate it. So if anybody wants to see the Play Me project blown up and made interactive, uh, definitely do uh, donate to, to David. I appreciate that. Please have all your friends donate too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Catherine, where, have you have you had any new essays lately? Are you uh, making any progress oh, yeah, on your, I've on your play? Got, I've, I've always got um, new stuff coming out um, at tweetspeakpoetry.com. Um, and let's see what else. What does tweetspeak mean? Does that mean you you tweet poetry? Um, Originally it started out, it's actually a website, a full website now, with all kinds of uh, prose and poetry and other stuff um, on writing. It originally started out as a joke. People started tweeting poetry back and forth to each other. And then it turned into this full-blown prose and poetry and literature and talking about literature and publishing works and um, a full-blown small press and all this other great stuff. So there's all sorts of really fun things going on there all the time. They just had, we just had um, uh, uh, Poetry at Work Day um, a few weeks ago that was really, really successful. And a lot of people participated, and it was a lot of fun. This so. is cool. I'm just looking at the site right now. Yeah. Yeah. So if so definitely screw- go and check out some of Catherine's stuff there. Yeah. And uh, if you're looking for a data scientist, data scientist for hire, Catherine Neal. Yes, always. Always. <laughs> what is a data scientist? Um, if you want to get technical about it, I apply no pun mathemat- Yes, I apply mathematical and statistical um, algorithms to medium and large data sets for companies and projects. That's cool. So, I love algorithms. They're important. That's yeah. great. Yeah, that's why Nathan and life. I. Yes, that's why Nathan and I get along so well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That's and, great. And, and last but not me, there is uh, me, Ryan Price. I go by Liberator, which is spelled without the last vowel pretty much everywhere. And uh, you can also just search for Ryan Price on the Google. And as long as you don't get Ryan Price, the photographer, Ryan Price, the musician, or Ryan Price, the bodybuilder, or Ryan Price, the soccer player, the other ones are probably me. So I, I am out there in a bunch of different places, but. Um, I do some Instagramming, I do some uh, Twittering, some Google Plus, but uh, mostly you see me out and out and around Orlando making something happen, like like this show. So uh, bringing art and technology together, we try to get together uh, on a pretty regular basis. With any luck, we'll be doing this weekly pretty soon. My my mission is to is to be able to make enough money with this podcast to be able to hire someone to post it for me so that I don't have to do it. <laughs> if I could get to that point, then that would be something. So seeking advertisers, if you're interested in that sort of thing. And um, 
we would like to put together a bringing art and technology together show. And I may even have somebody who volunteered their venue. So now the next part begins, which is actually working on it and picking a date and coming up with some program. So we'll see how that goes. That's cool. All right. Uh, Did you guys go to the Cardboard Art Festival by any chance? Yeah, I was down there. Uh, okay. Our, our our friend Nathan was there, and some people who yeah. we will probably have on upcoming shows, like Evan Miga, will probably be a future guest on this podcast. They were That's all great. there uh, doing art, and actually, there was a really neat Instagram thing there too. Yes, you, you could Instagram yourself, and then they would print out your picture and post it onto this like cardboard city that they were building. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. And I enjoyed Nathan's installation. I enjoyed all of them, but Nathan's installations were really interesting, too, with the interactive marble game and then the uh, puppet or marionette. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty neat. Yeah. It's good times. Well, um, <laughs> we, could, we, could, we could stay here and talk about all the cool things in the world all night, but we're going to let you get back to your commute or to mowing your lawn or whatever it is that you're doing while you listen to podcasts. <laughs> So thank you for listening, and uh, please please do subscribe to the show, and then you can get all of the updates and tell your friends that you enjoyed it and you got hopefully something inspiring came out of listening to the podcast. So until next time, we will say goodbye. She's just waiting. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Just sing the uh, Mickey Mouse Club song now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. <laughs> Bye. I think she's trying to leave. <laughs> we want to talk about you, so we haven't signed off yet, but we can't start talking about you, so we need to know. No, just